So last week we started with Genesis 1. And just to recap, the thing that we learned from Genesis 1 is that we are created in the image of God. And so God made all of these different things in our world. He made the land and the seas and the trees and puppy dogs and snails and all the ingredients for chocolate chip cookies and cats and worms. He made all of these things, sunsets, sunrises. And he said, that's good. And about all of those things, he said, that's good. But when he made you, he said, you are very good, that we are created in the image of God. And so that was chapter one. Chapter two continues on this theme of God's goodness and man's life on paradise on earth continues to unfold. And then we read this uh, in Genesis chapter two, verse nine. And I'm going to read out of the ESV. I'm going to actually read a fair amount of uh, scripture this morning. So if you want to follow along, I encourage you to do that. It'll be on the screen. Or if you want to get an app open, I'd encourage you to get the ESV out. So it says this. It says, and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so God gives Adam everything that he needs, the tree of life that will give him life forever and ever. And then also there's a tree that he says, you're not to eat from this tree. And then Genesis 2 ends this way. It says, and the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. Like, think about that. That's a pretty fantastic life there. You're in a garden with your wife and you're both naked all day long. Like, that sounds like a pretty good life that they've got going on, Right? You know, when we talk about fairy tales, you read a fairy tale and it says, and they lived happily ever after, right? That's the way most fairy tales end. And you look at what's going on with Adam and Eve in the garden, and it is a fairy tale ending. Or it should be, it says, and they lived happily ever after in the garden forever and ever with one another. But as we look around our world, we recognize that that's just not how it turned out. It wasn't happily ever after. You look at the world around us, and you say, there is a lot of pain and difficulty. I mean, you look in the past, you look at someone like Hitler and the Holocaust, and you go, that was not good. You look at the war going on in Ukraine, you go, that's not good. You look at the earthquakes that happen and the mudslides that happen and the tornadoes that rip across the United States and other places, and you go, that's not good. That's not Garden of Eden living where everything is happily ever after. And then you look at people stuff. We had a foster child that lived with us for a bit, and his dad, who was him and his dad and his older brother, who was a special needs child, and the dad just left. They lived in a trailer in the woods, and he just left. Left his little five-year-old son there to just walk and try and find somebody to feed him and his older brother. Like, that's messed up. That is not happily ever after. And as you think about the people that you know in your life, and we know there's some messed up things going on in our world around us with people from divorce 
to adultery, to drug-addicted children, to people with cancer. To, I mean, there's all kinds of difficult stuff as we look around. And then we look in the mirror. I look in the mirror, and I see pride, and I see lust, and I see not being faithful to the things that God calls them to be faithful to. And I go, man, this is not happily ever after. What happened? And so Genesis chapter 3 is the story of what happened. It's the story of sin entering our world. Genesis 3 really answers the question, why is there brokenness in our world? And we're going to talk through that. But what Genesis chapter 3 also does is it shows us how do we deal with our sin as we look at what happens in Genesis 3. And so that's going to be the focus this morning is how do we deal with the sin in our lives? So this is Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And so the serpent is Satan. This is Satan speaking to Eve in terms of trying to tempt her and so forth. And so he asks her, he plants a seed of doubt in her mind. He said, did God actually say, I mean, did he actually say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, if you're listening, that's not what God said. God said you can eat of any tree, but don't eat of this one tree. Don't eat from this one tree. Satan begins by misrepresenting God. Then in verse 2, it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now it's interesting. Eve corrects Satan and says, No, 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 you you don't have this right. Like, we can eat of any tree except not this one tree tree, and we're not even allowed to touch it, which, interestingly enough, God didn't say you can't touch it. He just said you can't add to it, but Eve sort of adds that to it. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want you to see what the serpent does, what Satan does in these couple of verses, is he lies and then he twists the truth, right? So he says, if when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, and you will know good from you. He says, when you eat this, of this one fruit, this fruit that God says, don't eat it, this is what will happen. And here's the thing as we look at this. First of all, he says, you will not surely die, right? That is an outright, bold-faced, lie in opposition to what God said. God said, if you eat it, you will surely die. But Satan says, if you eat it, you won't die, right? Old-faced lie. But then what he does second, I think is much more crafty and cunning because he kind of twists the truth. He kind of gives a half-truth. He says, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, and you'll know good from evil. And here's the thing. All three of those things are good things, right? To have your eyes open. Like, that's what we're talking about in this series. Like, let's open our eyes to the things of God. Your eyes will be open. Well, that's a good thing. You will be like God. 
But we're not trying to be God. That's a bad thing. But to be like God. I mean, we're already created in God's image. And to be like him and to be holy and just and righteous, like, that's a good thing. And to know good from evil, well, that's a good thing also. And you can see what Satan is doing. He's kind of twisting the truth around. In all of this, he's trying to show Eve. Saying, you know what? God tells you no And when he tells you, no, you're missing out on something that God doesn't want you to have, something good. God is keeping something good from you. If you look at your outline, you'll notice the words uh, that you're going to fill in the blanks after are stop, drop, and roll, right? How many of you remember a picture that looks something like this? So if your clothes catch on fire, what do you do? Stop, drop, and roll, right? And I want to use something kind of clever and catchy like that to hopefully help you remember this, not just today or this week, but really maybe for a long time in your life, that how do we deal with sin in our life? We stop, we drop, and we roll. Okay, so the first is stop. We stop believing the lies and the twisted truths. We stop believing the lies and the twisted truths. You can write that in your outline. So often we fall into sin because we believe a lie that Satan tells us, or we believe a half-truth or a twisted truth that Satan tells us. Can I give you two different areas, very different. One is in the area of sexual sin. We fall into sexual sin, whether it be pornography or sex outside of marriage or sex before marriage or adultery. We believe lies and twisted truths about it. Well, you know what? It'll make your relationship better. If it feels good, do it. Everyone else is doing it, and they seem to be fine. It's just a a small thing. Well, go ahead and do that, because God will forgive you afterwards, right? Lies and twisted truths. Let me give you another one, different realm. Peace. Peace is another one where we can fall into twisted truths. You see, peace is something that God wants you to have. The Old Testament word is the word shalom. God wants you to have shalom. And here's the thing. God wants you to have these three things that Satan says to Eve. The three things. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, and you'll know good from you. God wants you to have that. God wants you to have peace. But the question is, how do we pursue the peace that God wants us to have? Because I think sometimes we settle for a superficial peace instead of working through issues and through tough things. Sometimes we want peace, and so we end relationships prematurely that maybe shouldn't be ended. Or we hit the bottle or pills or whatever to take the edge off of things. We're pursuing peace, but not in the way that God wants us to pursue it. And I would guess that if there is, not if there is, because there is, whatever recurring sin is in your life, my guess is it comes back to believing a lie that Satan puts in your head or a twisted truth that you believe, that that's at the root of whatever sin that you wrestle with over and over again. And we continue on in verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So as we talk about sin this morning, let's be honest. Okay, I'm going to be honest. You don't have to be honest. I'll be honest for all of us. There is something that is appealing about sin, right? Like that's, the, that's just the fact of life. There's things about sin that are appealing, which is why we step into them. And we see it here. It says, delight to the eyes, to be desired, to make one wise. Those are all desirable things about the fruit. And the fact is that we sin because there is an appeal to it. And most often, the appeal of sin is the immediate gratification. Like, if I do this, then I'm going to feel good now for a while and not understanding God's bigger plan. What happened in that verse, she ate of the fruit and she gave some to her husband who ate with her. What happened there changed the course of human history. Eve was deceived, right? Satan is Eve. But Adam, he really actually knew, right? God said directly to him, don't eat of the fruit. We were talking... Uh, about this this week in my home group, but what's the difference between men and women, between Adam and Eve? And it's kind of interesting. So Eve, she had like the most crafty, cunning, deceptive being in the world trick her into eating, or somewhat trick her, but you know, deceive her into eating the fruit, right? That's why she sinned. But on the other end, there's Adam, and all it took for him was a naked woman with food, and he falls into it. Right? Like, that's a bit of the difference. Here's what happens theologically at that point in time. It says, therefore, this is Romans 5. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. But theologically at this point in time, this is when sin entered the world, that all of us have a sin nature, that all of us sinned in Adam and Adam sinned, and that is passed on to us. And you know, you can see that in our world today. Like if you remember when your kids were little, or if you've been around little kids, if you don't have children, but you see little kids, and nobody had to teach my kids how to be selfish, right? They learn that all by themselves, right? When they see somebody over with their toy, they go, mine, and they grab it back. Like they didn't learn that from me. They didn't learn that from Stacey. It's just their sin nature, right? Kids, they learn no, no, right? One of the kids in our home, she's three. And, uh, and so when she says no, she doesn't just say no. She goes, no, like that. Like, I didn't teach her that, right? She just, no, she's, you know, why? Because we have this sin nature in us, this selfless nature. And, you know, we can blame this on Adam. We can blame this on Eve. But the fact is, and this is what Paul is saying, if there were any one of us in the garden on that day, we would have done the same thing because it's what we do every day. And then here's the result, verse 7. It says, in the eyes of both of, excuse me, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
you know, before we continue on, I want to, um, there's a question that came up at my men's group that somebody asked, and I want to address it. It's because I think it's kind of insightful and it maybe answers a question. But the question is, why did God put this tree there anyway? Right? Like, why not just put the tree of life and not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why not just not even put that in the garden? Why did he put that? Right? And here's why. It's because if we do not have a choice to love God, it's not really love, right? If there's not a choice on our part to love God or not love God, then all we are really is robots, right? Let me give you an illustration. So that beautiful screen right there, I just want you to know, beautiful screen, I love you with all of my heart. Oh my gosh, the screen loves me back, right? Does the screen love me? No. I, I made a little ugly PowerPoint and Aaron hit the button back there and, and now it loves me. We know that that's not true, right? And so we, the same is true with us and God. If we don't have a choice, then it's not really love. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The idea of Adam and Eve hiding is both humorous and sad. It's humorous in the sense it says that they hid among the trees of the garden. And you can kind of picture, let's, let's hide behind these trees in, in our lowing car, like your little bikini and my little speedo, like that, will, you know, it'll blend in with the trees, like the original camo. God will never see us here. Well, that's ridiculous. Because God sees everything everywhere. It's kind of humorous to think about that scene. But it's also kind of sad. Because we do the same thing. We try and hide our sin from God. And you know, you can hide your sin from me. You can hide your sin from the people in your family. You can hide your sin from your close friends. You can do that to an extent. But you, I, I cannot, we cannot hide our sin from God. But yet we try and do it. We go about life as though God doesn't know that I'm doing this sin, that I'm involved with this, and we don't deal with it. Then verse 11 says, have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam and Eve do the exact same thing. They place blame. And Adam's blame, if you think about it, it's pretty like, prideful, verbose, I don't know what the word is. It's pretty outrageous, right? God says, why did you eat it? He says, well, the woman made me, okay, yeah, blame her, that you put here. Do you grasp that? He's blaming God for his sin. If you hadn't put the woman here, then I wouldn't have sinned. Really, Adam? Really? You'd have figured it out, right? He blames God. And then God says to the woman, what about you? And she says, the, the serpent deceived me. I was deceived by Satan. Okay, we stop and we drop and we roll. We stop believing the lies of Satan 
And the second is that we drop the blame game. That we drop the blame game. If we truly want to overcome sin, if we truly want to deal with our sin in the right way, we need to stop blaming other people. We need to own our stuff. And I think sometimes a lot of our sin is reactionary, and that's where we tend to blame other people. If you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have responded with sin. If you hadn't, then I wouldn't have, right? Do like this, right? If you, or I guess we would do it this other way, say, I wouldn't have yelled at you if you had put away the food in the refrigerator last night like I asked you, right? I wouldn't have snapped at you if you hadn't made us late today. The only reason that I hid it from you is because I knew how you would react if I told you the truth, right? We do that same type of blame game with one another. So then over the next six verses, uh, God gives the consequences of sin to Adam and to Eve. And we're going to talk through each of these parts of these consequences. Verse, um, kind of what precedes verse 15, but the, gives out four consequences to the serpent. He's cursed above all livestock to crawl on your belly. Third is there'll be enmity between you and the woman. And then here's the fourth one that I want to focus on. It says, the offspring, the offspring shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, remember that. We're going to actually come back to that in just a minute when we get back to the roll part of stop, drop, and roll. Then he continues on in verse 16. It says, to the woman, I said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, for he shall rule over you. So women have pain in childbirth as a result of the fall and what happened in the Garden of Eden. You can blame Eve for that if you want to. But it also gets at the relational issues that come up between husbands and wives. And one of the results of the fall is relational conflict, not just between husbands and wives, but between people, right? And that's part of the fall. That's part of the consequences of the fall. And it says this, verse 17. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the tree. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. Out of the fall came all the natural disasters, right? All the problems of our world kind of of that sort came because of the fall. So the fall didn't just affect mankind. The fall affected the earth and the messed upness that the earth has and tornadoes and hurricanes and all of that type of stuff because sin entered the world. In the Garden of Eden, there were no freezing snowstorms. There were, no, there were no tsunamis. There were no fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is. There was no cancer. There was no diabetes. There was none of that because it was a perfect world. But all of that sin entered the world with Adam and Eve. And then it says this, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. That means that part of the consequence, the punishment of sin, is that you will die a physical death. That's what... Uh, God said back in Genesis 2, 16, 
if you eat of it, you will surely die, and all of your offspring, that's us included, after that. So I want you to put yourself in Adam and Eve's place, okay? Because it's gone down, 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 but it's about to take an upturn. But I want you to put yourself in Adam and Eve's place, right? And think about if you had done all of this, right? You'd been deceived, you ate, you hid in the garden, you've caused the fall of all mankind. You took some fig leaves and you stitched it together to make a little loincloth. And then God comes to you confronts you, hands out the consequences. And this is what God does next. And I love this. And God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. That may seem like a small thing, but it is a huge gesture. This God, our God, who has just handed out the punishments and handed out the consequences he does this gesture, and he makes them clothes out of animal skin. Out of his compassion, out of his mercy, out of his generosity, he does this. Because it's a sign that God is not done with people. God is not done with us. He was not done with them. He didn't say, you know what? You blew it. Forget it. No more grace. No more compassion. No more love. No more nothing. He says, no. I'm going to meet you where you are and provide an immediate need for you. Going back to verse 13. It says, The offspring shall bruise, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we go back two weeks ago. Jesus walked from the road to Emmaus, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and he explained the whole Old Testament, how it pointed to the Messiah. And this is a verse that he would have pointed to. Because what this is talking about your offspring, Adam's offspring, is Jesus. Way down the biological line, it's traced in, in the Gospels. It's traced all the way down, and Adam is the off, excuse me, Jesus is the offspring of Adam. And he shall bruise your head. That was Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. So as we stop, drop, and roll, we stop believing lies. We roll... What is it? We roll what? Stop, drop. I messed it up, didn't I? Thank you. It's, I can't hear. It's my problem. We stop believing the lies. We drop the blame game. And we roll into the solution of Jesus. See, God had a plan for the problem that Adam created from the very beginning. From that very first time. This is how Paul sums it up. It says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Spiritual death came through Adam. Our spiritual life comes through Jesus. And so we, we can wrestle with sin and we, will, we can stop blaming or we can stop believing the lies. We can drop blaming and, and we can overcome sin to an extent, but we will never fully overcome sin until we look to Jesus and we roll into Jesus so that we know that we have salvation. Not because my life is getting better because I'm sinning less, but because Jesus Christ paid the penalty on the cross for my sin.
and for your sin. And I'd encourage you if you're here this morning, and maybe you've tried to stop sinning. Maybe you've tried to be good enough to earn God's favor. Maybe you've tried to be good enough to earn your way into heaven, but none of that works. You can't not sin to get into heaven, that we all fall back into it. It's only by placing your faith in Jesus Christ that you have forgiveness of sin. And I encourage you this morning, if you've never made that decision, to make that decision this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for what you teach us. And God, what we learn in Genesis 3 sure explains a lot about the brokenness of our world. But it also explains the brokenness of our own lives. And I pray that we would be honest with ourselves. And that you would help us to recognize the lies of Satan. And that we would drop blaming other people for our sin. Take responsibility. Confess it to you. Stop hiding it from you. And put it at the foot of the cross. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.